Hello and welcome to Your Employment Matters. I'm Beverly Williams and I'm here to help you navigate your career. This is for anyone who's searching for their dream job or promotion, or perhaps you're just looking to hang on to the job you have. Today's work environments are multi-generational, multi-religious, multinational, multiracial, and multi-gender and multi-gender identity. Add market disruptors like Amazon and Lyft, along with the addition of AI, and it's easy to see why finding and keeping a job is such a challenge. Employment success and even employment survival depend on your ability to adapt. That's why my goal for this 30-minute podcast is to first advocate embracing change and differences, and second, to encourage you to proactively assume responsibility for your career. Get your work week off to a good start by listening to Your Employment Matters every Monday. Find out how to own your career and get the best practices for making your employment matter. My guest today is Paul Teasdale. He's been just so patient. We've tried to record this interview for uh, weeks, uh, if not months, and today we're going to do it. Paul lives in the UK, England specifically, and uh, this is just another effort to establish a global reach. We want to reach anyone who needs information, who's wants to improve their employment situation, whether it's by getting a promotion or getting a new job. So I'm going to introduce Paul. Hi, Paul. Thank you. Hi, and bro. take it away. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. Really appreciate your efforts in making this work with our technical challenges that we've had. But um, <laughs> it's it's been great, but we're here now, and that's the main thing. And I know um, you probably want me to share a little Please. history and, and background. Tell Is us that how, yeah. who you are, how you, you know, where you grew up, your training, your employment journey, what you're doing now, how you got there. Because it's yeah. interesting the the marriage between Formula One cars mm. and p- individual people's performance, because usually performance in Formula One is directed at the performance of the automobiles. Am I correct? There is a lot of that, and that is the main focus that people will see and hear. But obviously, within an organization like McLaren, who I worked for for a number of years, there's a huge amount of effort going into performance as a team and the individuals within that team. And uh, and yeah, I can I can share some stories from that world. And the world of Formula One is where I share a lot of my stories and analogies now uh, while I'm working independently helping people perform. But my history has been great and vast and varied along the way. I'm probably the only Formula One performance improvement practitioner who's worked in banking, shipping, and sausage making along the way. So uh, my background, born in the northeast of England, grew up in North Wales, where my my mum and my family still live, went back to university in the northeast of England and studied engineering and focused on the improvement side of engineering. So I'm the world's worst technical engineer. Put me in front. Put me in front of a Formula One car, and I, I can tell you which way the front and the back is, and that's about it. But, but my interest in the engineering side came in the practical application of the methodologies. So it's how do you take the learnings that people have taken and actually 
apply them to different scenarios. And that's what I've enjoyed doing over the years. And I took a job. My first job was in aerospace in a company that repaired and overhauled airplane engine parts as a business improvement practitioner. I then took a sideways step when I realized that the graduate scheme I was on wasn't quite delivering and took an opportunity seeing that there was another company or various companies doing some great graduate schemes. But I joined a company that was in food manufacturing and specifically I became a production manager in a sausage factory. So I did that for a number of years where I learned a huge amount of valuable, invaluable lessons, you might say, on how to treat people, how to manage a team, how to manage uh, adversity, um, even to manage uh, a death on my shift oh, wow. you know, whilst on the floor. So all those things as a young manager, you know, think things that they don't, they can train you for in some aspects. There's a lot of stuff they can't train you for. <laughs> and so taking a lot of lessons, often learning the hard way, you know, going in thinking that I was, I knew it all because I had the degree and I, I had all this, uh, this experience of what I'd read in the books and immediately falling flat on my face because of the lack of compassion uh, on reflection of just going in and saying, right, I'm going to improve your performance. I'm going to change your shifts and you're going to work harder and you're going to do this. And getting the see in the reaction and having to go, do you know what? I know nothing here. I, you know, I, you are the guys who know what's happening. You know what's going on. I can guide you. I can support you. I can give you the tools. But this way of dictating what you should do because I have the degree just doesn't work. So I, I learned a lot about humility from a management perspective in that world. But along the way, as I say, you know, from there, I took a job that came my way through a contact and someone said, would you be interested in doing some improvement work in a different environment in shipping, in an office environment that managed the logistics of shipping containers? So I did that for a, a couple of years, helping them with their invoicing processes, how they went about getting their customers, managing their customers and making sure everything was working smoothly internally. And that was a, an amazing experience in its own right for learning a completely new industry and realizing that actually my strengths were not in that industry, but that's not what I was bringing to that industry. And that started to hit home a little bit, but really came into fruition a bit later on, which I'll, I'll come to when I, uh, when I get to my New Zealand days. Because <laughs> from that work in the shipping organization, I took a job in um, consultancy and I worked for five years in a consultancy, small boutique consultancy that worked primarily with food manufacturing, going in and just helping organizations get their head above water. It was really supportive and going in and working on the line and just getting the, the operations going. So let me just say, you're hitting a really important subject and something that people don't always think of. When you're trained, you think you're trained for one industry, for one job, mm. one yeah. to be an engineer, to be a this or that, whatever. But you had transferable skills. The skills that mm. you had acquired over time were applicable in multiple industries. Because encouraging people, engaging employees, the skill set is almost universal. 
Yeah, I'd go as far as to say we all have transferable skills. I think a lot of people just don't realize it enough exactly. and find themselves trapped in either the industry or even the business that they're in because they think they can't perform elsewhere. And it's far from the case. It's often you can excel and, and have a step change in your own performance and help others have a step change in performance by having that external perspective and the sort of reframe that goes along with that. No. And people don't realize that, you know, when they apply for a job, it's difficult for people to see themselves beyond what their title was the last job mm. they had. They don't really yeah. focus on their skills. What did you learn? But the other thing that you, there's a word that you mentioned that we don't think about or think of often, and that's humble. Mm. Typically, in my experience, when even myself, when I look for a job, I'm thinking what's good for me. I don't think about it from the employer's perspective. Now, after I've been doing this for so long, I know that it's more advantageous to create win-win situations. The employee wins, the employer wins, and they work collaboratively to achieve a goal that benefits the business. Indeed, definitely. And I think it has to be that way for any sort of sustainability because otherwise you, you'll burn out, you, the company won't value you, you won't value the company, something will misalign along the way. Now, as I told you, I listened to one of your recordings on uh, one of your videos, video recordings on LinkedIn. Why don't you tell them about your five steps to improving performance. So I think the, the one you were, we were talking about before the recording here was uh, around the importance of the debrief. And uh, one of these lessons that I've taken from the, the time in Formula One, where I had some great experience there, it was the importance of the debrief or the retrospective or the after-action review, whatever you want to call it, the meeting where you reflect on the performance that you've just put into practice. It might be the end of a project. It might be the end of a business week. It might be after you've implemented a new piece of technology, something along those lines. But they you know, include things like it's got to be as soon after the event as possible. You know, don't leave things to dwell. You know, it, it, on a race weekend with a Formula One team, you know, even if you've won and you're spraying the champagne on the podium, one of the first things you'll do is you go back and you have a team debrief. So you're getting their fresh perspective on what happened in that scenario. You've then got to have the right people in the room. You know, you've got to make sure that everybody who needs to be in the room is in the room. And almost as important is making sure that people who don't need to be in the room aren't in the room. Well, you know, <laughs> you know it's good that you say that because that's not a given. You know, you don't really think mm. about that, but that's important too. If they don't need yeah. to be there, they shouldn't be there. No, exactly. Need to and know. it's all need about. To know. <laughs> it's a before, you know, as much of the team as there is, is necessary because you've got to have the different perspectives, but you don't want to overburden individuals. You know, people have got enough time being spent in meetings right now. And uh, never mind, you know, adding on additional meetings, adding on additional pressure. So you've got to have the right people in the room. Those people have to be prepared. Even if you've got five minutes before a meeting, that's enough time to get your head in the right space to say, 
what am I reflecting on here? What are the key points that I want to get across? And what are the key things that I need to take out of this meeting? So any level of preparation is great. You've got to have data that's trusted. That's the, I do a lot of work with clients around that. Uh, is your data trusted? Don't tell me if it's accurate or not. You know, we'll get to that. If it's accurate, but not trusted, it's not going to get used. If it's trusted, but not accurate, then we can do something with that and we can make improvements. But if your data isn't trusted, people won't use it effectively. So we've got to make sure your data is, is trusted. In there. And then have a mechanism for prioritization. You know, what you can't action everything. You can't be taking action on every single point that's happened throughout that um, session, that race, that uh, last project step, whatever it might be. Um, so you've got to have a mechanism to say these are these are the criteria for something that we will action immediately, it's things that will go on the back burner, or the things that need to be actioned by a certain by an agreed time level or whatever it might be. And then the final bit is, and I really encourage people to take this as probably one of the simplest things you can do in any of these meetings is start with the positives. What went well? It's an, such a short question. It is. What went well? But we miss it so often, and, and the the tendency is to go into a meeting and say, "Right, that went wrong. That was off plan. That was over budget. What happened? That's right. Tell me why that happened." And we've got to learn from that, and we've got to learn on uh, as to when things have deviated from what we planned or what we expected. But if you don't capture what went well, you won't be able to do it again. And it's all about repeat performance. That's and the, plus, the they can throw a wet blanket on the debrief. If you start Precisely. with the negative. It's very difficult to come back to positive after starting with negative. Exactly. It's easier the other way around. <laughs> and you know, as I as I I know it was about a debrief, but I thought to myself, this five-step procedure can be used for performance, employee performance, mm-hmm. either incremental, maybe every quarter. You know, you sit down with the person or the team Mm. and tell them what's, you know, make sure the right people are in the room and and this is what's going well. And at the end of the four quarters, before the final review, the performance review is done, you do the same thing. You just adapt it to that, that situation. I think it's very adaptable. Yeah. No, and I've all the way through my career, I've always been interested in having a framework. I'm a simple man of simple pleasures, and I don't like to overthink things too much. And if if I don't know where to start, or if you're ever in this situation yourself, it's like, how do I start with this project? How do I start with this thing? Having a framework really helps. And even as you're going through something, you go, where am I in this framework? And Based on the experiences that I had in the Formula One world, where it's highly data-driven, I've seen so many organizations get driven by the data. So it's like, we, we're going to invest heavily in a new system that's going to give us some HR data, or it's going to give us some production data, and therefore more data is better, right? Well, actually, you flip that on its head a little bit. In the world of Formula One, more data comes from more sensors, more sensors is more weight on the car, more weight on the car actually slows the car down. And and that's not the performance you're trying to drive. It's the absolute absolute antithesis. So you need to flip it on its head. And I use this 
rapid performance approach, which is results, actions, people, insights, and data. So what are the results I'm trying to drive, both in terms of what is that result and what's the context of the results? What's the freight, you know, the maybe the strategic guidelines or the strategic priorities or the regulations that I'm working within. The actions is all about understanding what are the key levers that you have at your disposal that impact those results. You then go down to the next level, which is about people. So who are the people involved in making the decisions and putting those decisions into action for the actions that you've got at your disposal? And then the really interesting bits around insights. What insights do your people need to make the best decisions? Mm. And this isn't a data or information. This is insights, and there's a difference in my world and on that space, and I can come to that. Is there? And then the final level. Oh, no, go oh, ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. I, I just had a question. I was question. just going to say the, fi- the, the final step is the D for data, which is what's the smallest possible data set that I can have that drives the insights that I need? And therefore, you can minimize the data that you need to collect in the first place. And that saves a lot of headspace, time, investment, all, all the rest of it. Is there assumption that the people involved have the needed insights? No, no. Um, or do you I mean, have to make them aware? It, do you have to heighten their awareness as to what the insights are, and then they make the evaluation? Yeah, I mean, it's improving insights, I think, is the key level to making improvements for better decisions and better performance. And I differentiate data, information, and insights in that data, the facts and figures, the, the sort of descriptive element of number of sales I've had this month or you know the number of people that we've hired or gaps in our market that we might have. Information starts to put some context around that. So it might be graphing the, you know, the, the sales over the year. Where am I? Am I up or down? Where am I against plan? So I can visualize some of that information. Insights specifically help people make better decisions. So it tends to be a combination of data and information that's presented in a different way. And the example I'll often talk about, this actually came about whilst working at McLaren, and I was working with external companies. This is my, my role was to go out and say, this is how McLaren and this is how Formula One approach these problems. How do we apply it to your world? So I was working with a hospital with their prostate cancer pathway team. And they had a monthly meeting. What are the 50 patients that we've got at the moment on our books? How do we decide what we're going to do with each one of them going forward based on all of the their current uh, sort of blood tests and, and information that we've got along with them? So it had about 20 specialists in a room, oncologists and phlebotomists and all sorts of ists within that room, who've each and every one of them real experts in their field. And they had a, a report and a, a typical sort of meeting. Everybody's got a printout of the same information and said, right, patient number one is a male. He was born in September 1977. And, and the person's continuing talking at this point. And you just look around the room and the whole room is going September 77, 77, 70, 40, 40, is that 40 or 50, 45, 45, or it might be 46. And oh, where is it? Are we in September yet? No, we're not in September. And at least sort of five to 10 seconds were spent with 20 key, highly paid, highly influential individuals figuring out from a date of birth what age this person was. 
human nature. And actually, and that's about presenting someone with data or information when you should have said this person is in the 45 to 50 bracket because that's the bit that helps them make a better decision. And it doesn't matter if I was born in September. It doesn't matter if I was born in 1977 or whatever it was. It's actually the fact that I was in that 45 to 50-year-old bracket and combine that with something else. So my height, my weight, my BMI, my blood test results and things like that, and all those blood test results going up or down, all of that pulled into a package and presented in a way that helps people make a better decision, highlights the areas of risk or concern. That is insight. It doesn't make the decision for you, but right. it presents it in such a way that goes, we can now look at that and make a better decision. And if you are a leader in an organization, even if you're just an employee in a team and having a team meeting, look at the information, look at the data that you get presented and think to yourself, who's translating this in what way? Am I talking about a, con you know, I've, uh, we brought in three containers yesterday. Well, actually, containers are important for the warehouse team, but actually the sales team are interested in what the product is within those containers. And the uh, labeling team are interested in what size labels are on there. So it's like, how can you present that in such a way? This is, we had a container in that had these, and maybe visualize the whole thing. Don't talk it through when you've got it visualized and understood by people. But it's those simple elements of translating data and information into something that people can actually use can transform the performance of your just your, your team meetings. And that's where to start with these things. It's the small bits that make a little bit of difference. Absolutely. You've given such wonderful and useful nuggets of information about how to improve if you're not doing it, improve mm. your personal performance. And I just hope that Listeners can create a win-win situation for themselves mm -hmm. and keep in mind that it's not just about them and getting a job. It's about creating an aura, if you will, about yourself that says, oh, I want that person because they're going to help me get my job done. The hiring manager, if it's a position that's open in their organization, going to be looking for people whose mindset will contribute to their working hard to achieve a team goal, an organizational goal. And typically, people don't really think that way. It's, I need a job. I need a job now. And I'm qualified for this job. Why didn't I get this job? And one of the reasons they may not have gotten the job is because they were too introspective and focused on themselves and not focused on or knowledgeable about the employer's business. I think all of the interviews, all of the, the things that I've done over the years to get my different roles that I've had, I've learned a few things along the way, obviously, but it's a... Uh, I think one of the key things you can do to help yourself be successful is when that wonderful question comes at the end, you know, have you got any questions for us? And it's like asking about how does my performance, if I was to get this role, let's assume I get this role, let's be positive. You know, it's like, 
when I get this role, how is my performance going to help you? And how is it going to help you as, as a hiring manager? And how is it going to help your team? And how is it going to help the organization? One, you will gain a lot from understanding if they understand how your role fits in. Because <laughs> if they don't understand how your role fits in, that should be a little warning sign for you that maybe this isn't going to be as smooth sailing as you think it's going to be. But if they if they do know and they can articulate that and they're having that conversation, that, that's going to stick in their mind. And they're going to go, this person isn't just interested in themselves. They're interested in how their performance helps others. And that will really help you go along the way. My, when I moved to New Zealand, for instance, my sister lived over in New Zealand. My wife and I were going over to visit. We were thinking about moving over. We were considering moving from London, as we lived at, at the time, over to New Zealand. And so I set up a couple of meetings. And I literally went in and said, look, I'm in New Zealand. I'm here. I'd love to work for your organization because you're the biggest and the, you know, you fit in with what I've, I've done. I can't see any jobs on your website because there's nothing worse than they're saying, have you got any jobs? And yes, look at our website. <laughs> but I can't see any jobs on your website at the moment that are a fit. But I'd love to get to know you and talk about what, how I could add value so that we don't have to have this conversation in a little bit. And sure enough, a couple of months later, I get the phone call. You know, we've got a job coming up. Would you be interested? And I did the whole thing from the UK at that point. My first time I ever met my boss in person was on my first day at work in New Zealand. You know, it's a, it was literally just, a, it wasn't even Zoom calls at that point. It was all telephone calls. You so. know, you used the buzzword, add value. See, people don't even think about that a lot of the times. There are words that you can use in an interview that will immediately yeah. perk up people's ear. You know, this is the way I feel I can add value. What else do you see? This is my perspective. Of course, I'm not there. I'm not in. This is based on my research and what I perceive the company needs based on my limited knowledge. But I can add value in this way, this way, this way, this way. Do you have an additional way I can add value? And if you yeah. please tell me, and I will tell you whether I think I can deliver. And there's a, another great tip as well while we're here, and I'm, I'm thinking of these things on the fly. It's, uh, when I moved from that role in New Zealand, I got made redundant. I switched over into the world of banking. So I've never worked in banking before, and I, a job was coming up that was very similar in improvement approach, but obviously no banking experience. And it was similar to my interview with McLaren as well, actually, in some ways, in that I went in and I one of the first things I said was, I have no banking experience. And if you want somebody with banking experience, we can end this conversation now. But what I do bring is all this improvement experience that I can help you bring a different perspective to this role. Fresh eyes. Uh, and I, yeah. And I said at McLaren uh, when I went there, it's like, I'm not a Formula One fan. And if you want a Formula One fan, then, and somebody who knows that in detail, because part of the role could have been a lot more talking with clients specifically about the ins and outs and the history of Formula One, which, you know, I've picked up a lot of stories along the way, but it, you know, I'm go not going in with that deep knowledge that particularly Formula One and, uh, so you get the same with with NASCAR, IndyCar uh, fans. They know everything about the history. 
baseball fans, football fans, whatever it is, they all they know so much behind you. You can't hide and pretend that yeah. you know it. And say up front, I'm not an F1 fan. And if you need that from me, you know, let's cut our losses. But if you want this instead, if you want this experience, if you want this approach that I can bring, then let's keep talking. And it's amazing how I haven't yet got to a, com- a situation where someone has gone, right, yeah, you're right. Let's do that. Generally because there's enough in your CV to let them know that you haven't got that experience or you haven't got there. But it's uh, be upfront with people and it helps them to go. It actually, the counterintuitive reaction is often, oh, no, 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 we don't need that. Well, but we, yeah, you, if you've got that, that'd be great. So you actually get them on your side in that interview as well. So focus on what you're not bringing as much as what you are. You know, the phrase, stay in your lane, sometimes it's good Mm. and sometimes it's not. In your experience, not having banking experience, they knew that probably from Mm. your resume if you submitted one. But trying to fake it till you make it or going outside your lane and representing that you have skills that you don't have, that can be problematic. But there's also another side to that. Stretch assignments that they call them, you know, Mm. because I've been in that situation. I got got a job (laughs) and I was in a a meeting with C-suite executives, you know, and I was a recent hire. And my senior vice president boss says, oh, well, Beverly can do that. Beverly will take, and I'm thinking to myself, I never told him I could do that. (laughs) How am I going to do that? I don't know anything about that. But I realized because I was now an employee, had quit my other job, that I had to learn how to do it. I had to figure it out. And I was successful at the job. But I don't know that I would have gotten the job if he had told me that when I was being interviewed. Yeah. So, you know, no, you, have a, to, you have to use sound judgment. And you never know how the job that you take on day one is going to evolve going forwards. Exactly. It's all about if it is for you and the purpose is there for you and the alignment is there, then you will take on those stretch assignments and you will, you will want to stretch yourself and learn. Um, if it's not taking you in the right direction, or if it if it is if it's not gone beyond stretch assignments to burnout assignments and <laughs> and unsupported stretch assignments, then that can be an indicator that it's time for you to to think about what's next. And there's there's always something next. There's always something next. And I hope you'll come back, Paul. I've so enjoyed <laughs> this. Always, always. For some reason, I knew it would be a good interview. You know, it's just my instincts were to pursue this because this is a good interview. And when I saw the video, I said, you were right. This is going to be a good interview because your interview, the guidance is crisp and succinct. You know what I'm saying? It's It may be obvious, but it's not top of mind, Hmm. you know, and to your point, you have to always be prepared. Always. And, you know, it's one of those things where I've found the stuff that's worked for me over the years. And that's where I love to add value back to people in in that I'll help them 
share my experiences, but share the lessons I've learned along the way and, and say, how can you adapt what has been learned and then adopt it for your own performance? Not just steal something and go, right, that worked there. Let's do exactly the same thing. It won't work. You've got to adapt and then adopt and move forward from there. Well, Paul Teasdale, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your wisdom because that's exactly what it was. And I hope that listeners take it away and use it because I think it will help them be successful going forward. Tell people how they can get in touch with you if they're so inclined. Oh, I mean, please do. And I, I generally mean that as well, because it's uh, a lot of my lessons along the way have been reach out to people, just have the conversation. I'm always willing to have a conversation. Go to my website, which is paulteasdale.co.uk, or you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm quite active on the LinkedIn space. Or you can email me, paul at paulteasdale.co.uk, you know, and we, we can set something up. One of the first things you'll see on my website is the opportunity to set up a 30-minute free, no-obligation chat, and let's figure out how I can be of value. Well, oh, and let me just say, remind people that my book, Your GPS to Employment Success, How to Find and Succeed in the Right Job, is available on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com and wherever independent books are sold. Thank you so much, Paul, and hopefully you'll come back. Or oh, anytime, Beverly. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Your Employment Matters with Beverly Williams. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a review. I truly appreciate your support and that helps other listeners find the podcast. If you have a comment, question, or suggestion, you can reach me at bawilliams at youremploymentmatters.com. My book, Get the Job Done, is available on amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. Please join me again next week. Until then, remember to embrace change and differences. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.